let me uh, let me kind of start by um, telling you how we got to where we got to where we're going today. All right. And so uh, one of the things that I do is I pray about and seek the Lord and plan for the kind of where we're going to go over the next few months in sermon series and sermons that I'm going to preach. And then as I begin each week, I then flesh out where I kind of feel the Lord is leading in that moment. And uh, a few weeks ago, as we were planning and thinking about um, this kind of time in the fall, we're, we're going to kick off next week a... Uh, um, a special series of messages that's going to lead to a special day. And I'm not going to tell you all about that today because we're going to do that next week. But uh, we're going to be leading towards a special event on September 25th. But I hope you'll put on your calendar and just mark off that day, that morning, that we're going to have a time together. And, and we're also going to do something special on that day afterwards. But there's going to be a focus on that day. And so next week I'm going to start a series of messages that lead us towards that. And so I knew that that was kind of the start date to lead us towards that. And we knew we were finishing up our series from the summer uh, at the beginning of August. We were going to have our share day. And then we had a couple of weeks kind of in between. And I just kind of prayed about what the Lord had me to speak on. And last week, I just felt compelled, and I shared this with you, to talk about politics and election season and all that kind of stuff. And then in that time, in that focus, I just uh, had put down that we were going to talk about five ways that the Holy Spirit leads us. And so uh, if you look in your order of service, it says led. Jeff has talked about how we're going to talk about that today. And then about Wednesday, the Lord said no. And I thought, well, how can I talk about how the Holy Spirit leads us if I don't allow the Holy Spirit to lead me in a different direction? And so about Wednesday, as I was looking over stuff, uh, talking about in my mind, talking in my mind, that's what I do, talking in my mind about stuff, going over and over about what I was going to be doing with that sermon, I just kept running into walls. And I don't know if you've ever been a project at work or you've been working on something, a school paper or something, and you just keep hitting a wall and you're just like, I can't, no, that's not good, no, that's not, I don't, it's not fitting, it's not going. On Wednesday night, I, I, I'm speaking on Wednesday night through the book of Jonah. On Wednesday night, there was a question, one single question that I asked in the midst of a 35, 40 minute sermon, Bible study, that just shook me to the core a little bit. And I felt the Lord just say, we're going to build a message Sunday around that. And so I began to think, okay. <laughs> Lord, it's kind of, I've been planning this. It's kind of like Thursday. I had a conference Thursday and Friday. Yesterday, our day was full. And so I just said, Lord, this is, we're going down this path. We're going to, you know, this is where we get, we're going to go down this path. I trust you and we'll get there. And the conference that I went to spoke to the kind of question that I had brought up on Wednesday night and that had resonated within my soul. Some things surrounding just kind of my life kind of resonated. And I finally came to the conclusion that today was a day as we look forward into the future, as we look forward into the fall, as we come off a successful summer, however you want to talk about success, but see where God is moving in the lives of our young people. God's moving in the lives of our adults. God's moving in life, our church. We've, uh, in recent months, we have uh, gone to two Sunday schools, two worship services, compact schedule, and things are happening. Sunday school classes are starting. The class Classes that were kind of split apart are starting to grow again. And so we're starting to see some momentum in that, attendance and giving and all of that kind of stuff. Because I just felt the Lord say that we need to remind ourselves again of the whole reason we're here. Because the temptation is for a church, a church of our size especially, because in I, I heard this statistic in this conference I was at this weekend, just blew me away. I mean, we look at our church and we don't think, man, we're a big church. But the average Southern Baptist church averages 65 on Sunday morning. 
65 people on Sunday morning, okay? And so we are in like the top 10% of churches in the nation, Southern Baptist. So it's easy for a church like ours to to uh, get into the community and be good community partners and, and do good ministry projects. And, and we want to do all of that. I mean, I don't know if you saw, if you saw the, the post on Facebook or through social media or even on the news stuff, but, you know, we got a call Thursday and Goodlettsville uh, was playing their first game in the Little League World Series and they're, they're playing today. And, and I, mean, we're, I mean, we're rooting for them. We're excited. We know some of the kids. Some of the kids go to T.W. Hunter and Eli uh, knows and... Um, some are on the football team and all that. And so we, you know, we're rooting for them just like any other good Goodlettsville, North Nashville person is. But we got a call literally like at 12 o'clock on Thursday and just said, hey, man, can we use your facility because we think it's going to rain? We're like, sure. And we want to do that kind of stuff. We want our place to be an open environment for people to come in and use it. We want to do great ministry projects in Lynch and in Los Angeles and Meals on Wheels and Mason's Motel. Room at the end, next door. We want to do great ministry, really help people out, give people a chance to, to pull themselves up, to help them to see a, a future and to give them in moment of need to help. I mean, we want to do great Sunday school classes, with great fellowships and really do good community stuff. And we want to have great programs for our kids and our youth and great facilities to do all of that in. We're going to vote tonight as a part of our um, churchwide celebration about reserving back out of the money from a property sale, reserving back $25,000 to go towards a youth renovation that is desperately needed that we hope to do in this fall or winter. Now, we want to do all that stuff, but the question is, okay, so why are we doing all that stuff? Is it just to be a good community partner and have good programming? And what I came back to was that we needed to identify, again for us, the central job, the central task that each and every one of us has been called to do. I've been pastoring here for nine years. I've mentioned that a couple of times. Nine-year anniversary was a couple of weeks ago. This is into the tenth year. And it's been an amazing nine years. And, and some of you, how many of you have been here all nine? How many of you? How many of you have not been here all nine? All right. Look at that. All right. So that's cool. We love that. We're excited about it. Some of you are like, no, nine. I haven't been there like two weeks. This is it. All right. But, but I've been here nine years. And from the first day, we've had a statement. It's out in the foyer on the wall. And if you're new to the church, you're like, what, what is that statement up on the wall? It's our purpose statement, our mission statement. I brought it with me um, as I kind of said, this is what I want to see our church be and do. And this is what it says. That we exist to glorify God by leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what undergirds. That's what is at the essence of everything we do. We want to be a place that glorifies God by leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The reason we have great youth programs, the reason that Jeff does stuff on Wednesday nights and blows it out with all kinds of stuff and does the whatever the, the day celebration is and they eat and they have a good time and they play um, Foursquare and they play all kinds of stuff. The reason they do that is because he intends to then transition that to discuss what it means to be a passionately devoted follower of Jesus Christ. The reason Ellie does all kinds of cool stuff downstairs is because we want our kids to understand what it means to be a passionately devoted follower of Jesus Christ. The reason we have Sunday school is not just so you can have a cool time to hang out, but we hope in that environment, that in that Sunday school environment, you're talking about experiencing, going through God's Word. What does it mean to live a passionately devoted life devoted to Jesus Christ? 
The reason that we do Room at the Inn and Next Door Ministry and Los Angeles Mission Trips and Lynch, Kentucky and Brazil is to tell people about what it means to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's the essence of who we are. Now, we didn't just pull that out of the air and say, man, that's a cool purpose statement. Let's grab that. It comes directly from the scriptures. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Most of you, if you grew up in church, you don't even have to open it there. But I want you to open it there because I want you to see it because you're going to know it. You're going to memorize it. Matthew chapter 28. These are the last words of Jesus in the book of Matthew. They're the last words in Matthew. They are in red. These are Jesus' words. It's not only the last words in Matthew, but this is one account of his last words to his disciples as he's getting ready to leave. Verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And here's what the Lord just kind of laid on my heart over the last few days, literally last three or four days, is that as a church, if we get everything else right and we fail to make disciples, we have failed in our calling as a church. This is our one job. This is our one task. Several years ago, they remade the movie Ocean's Eleven. Some of you of my generation and younger don't realize there was an Ocean's Eleven before there was an Ocean's Eleven. But they remade the movie. And there's a part in that movie at the beginning when um, one of the main characters, one of the Eleven, is helping to break into a bank. And he sets these charges. It's an intricate charge. And as he sets the charges, the charges go off. The bank vault opens. He is celebrating, excited. And they walk into the vault. And the guy that was supposed to turn off the alarm did not turn off the alarm. And as he's celebrating, he turns around and he says to the guy, you had one job. Now that's turned into an internet meme. It is places where people, you know, I've seen um, this week just looking at some stuff the, where, you know, there's a school zone and they paint the S-H-C-O-O-L. Like, you know, you had one job or I saw a picture of a gate that's supposed to go across a four lane road and it barely sticks out into the first lane. Like it's not a very effective gate or there were bike arrows like bike trail this way. And right where the arrows in, there are stands of concrete bars there like you're not going very far or one of my one of the things that I love to do. Uh, with the kids sometimes we sit around we watch um videos stream stuff or whatever on our tv and there's always one that comes on fridays espn does it the not top 10 plays where guys just make terrible plays and there's one that's going on right now from a few weeks ago where a soccer goalie goes out gets the ball real excited he's getting ready to throw it to his guy you know soccer goalies only people that can use their hands and he takes the ball to throw it and as he throws it it gets caught in his hand and he throws it directly back into his own goal right and you're like You had one job and you didn't do it. Well, as a church, and what I'm going to say to you as an individual, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, this is your one job. This is your one responsibility. To make disciples. Now, it's emphasized in this passage of scripture because if you study the original language, which I know you all do all the time, you all take Greek and pull it out. But if you study the original language, in the original language, there's only one command in that entire verse. And it's this one. 
Now, we don't do diagramming sentences a lot, but if you were diagramming a sentence, all these other things that look like verbs, going, baptizing, teaching, if you were to diagram, they would all describe where and how to make disciples. The only command that Jesus gives to his followers is to make disciples. He says your one job, your one task, if you do nothing else in your life, your one task is to make disciples. And here's the thing about that. When we understand what he's saying, how he's saying it, to whom he's saying it to, we realize this, that all followers of Jesus are called to be disciple makers. All followers of Jesus are called to be disciple makers. Now, the truth is, if you look at our purpose statement, we exist to glorify God by leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We use the word followers there because disciples kind of become a churchy word. Okay, And sometimes we use churchy words and we don't really understand what churchy word means, but we use it because we want to be in church and we want people in church to think we understand what churchy word means. And so we'll use the churchy words even when we're talking to people that have no interest in church and we'll say disciple and it's like, ooh, that sounds good. I have no idea what that means. Okay, But disciple just means learner or follower. And so the only way you could say this, and we won't, it's going to stay like this, but you could say disciples of Jesus are called to be disciple makers. That every single one of us are called to be disciple makers. Our God-given job is to make disciples. And we've had the mistake of thinking that that is for a select few, an elite group, like a SEAL team of Christians. Or those that are really good at it. Anybody here watched the Olympics this week? Last couple of weeks? All right. I watch the Olympics. I'm amazed every year. I always love the discussions that come up this time of year is what's the hardest of the Olympic events for people like that aren't like normal. I mean, that are like normal athletes, just like or not very good athletes to do. You know, you like you watch track and field. You're like, okay, I could run. I couldn't run that fast, but I could run. Like I always think like the the rings and gymnastics like that ain't happening. Like I'm just going to be hanging there like drop. All right. But there have been two athletes, I mean, there, you had Michael Phelps winning like every event and swimming again, but there have been two athletes that were just completely dominant in their sports. And I'm just amazed by it, because these are the world's best athletes, and these people are just way ahead, alright? The first one is this one, alright? You know who this is? Katie Ledecky, right? Uh, just amazing. This is the 800 meters, okay? First of all, that's swimming, 800 meters is eight football fields, basically. Okay? Like, I don't know if y'all saw this picture. One of my favorite pictures of the Rio Olympics was they had a picture of a lifeguard at the Olympic swimming event. Did y'all see that? Like, like just hunched over, like, depressed. Listen, if I had to swim the 800 meters, that person would be there for a reason, right? Like, I'm not making it 800 meters. And she broke the world record, but I love this picture because there she is. There are seven other people swimming against her. One, two, three, there's a little hat, four, five, six, and this person isn't even in the frame if you zoom out. Just completely dominant. You know, I remember that she gets to the end, touches the wall, turns around and starts celebrating, doing all the stuff they do, and people are still swimming as they're coming in, right? Now, the other one is when they shifted to the track. He's not an American, 
but just unbelievable. This is one of my favorite pictures right here. All right. <laughs> you know what? I mean, this is the 100 meter dash. It's over in 9.7 seconds. And he is so far ahead. He's, he's smiling at the other guys. And my favorite part of this picture, though, are the other guys' expressions. Because that is sheer anguish. Like, I am doing everything I can. And he's just like, hey, like this is like just ridiculous, right? Okay. Now, why am I talking about Katie Lecky and Usain Bolt? There are a lot of people that think, that disciple makers for Christians are the Usain Bolts and the Katie Ledeckis of Christianity. It's the people that are really, really good at it, like world caliber Christians. But scripture says, we're the people, disciple makers are Katie Ledecky and Usain Bolt, but they're also the people that you can't even see in the frame because they've left them behind. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to make disciples. And why is that important? Why, why is it important that everybody be involved in it? The simple thing is, we want as many people to come to faith and follow Jesus Christ as possible, and we need as many people as we can making disciples to make that happen. As deacons, uh, uh, we, uh, I told you this a few weeks ago, we're reading a book called Gaining by Losing by J.D. Greer. And he uses a middle school math problem to show us that example here. He says that in middle school math, oftentimes a teacher will stand up or it's been done in middle school math. I remember having it done in my middle school math. And they ask him this question. I'm going to offer you a choice and I want you to decide what you want. I can give you $10,000 a day for 30 days. Or I can give you a penny today and double it every day for 30 days. Which of those two do you want? Now, most middle school math students will say, give me the 10K a day. Because at the end of the week, I got $70,000. Let me just say, don't try to work this out while you're sitting there, all right? And you do it later, all right? Some of you, I see pens already working. Like, let me work it out, all right? You get 70000 by the end of the week. By the end of the month, you've got $300,000. A seventh grader can get into a lot of trouble with $300,000. Amen. They get a lot of trouble with like a buck fifty. So like three hundred thousand is a lot. But if you do the doubling every day, you say, "I I want that. I want the ten thousand a day for thirty days." If you do that, you are leaving about ten million dollars on the table. If you do the penny doubled every day for thirty days, by the end you have ten million seven hundred and thirty seven thousand. $418.23. Now here's the thing. We need everybody involved in making disciples. Because if just one or two people are adding one or two people to the faith every year. And we're doing that by addition. And so one person adds two people. The next year three people. The next year two people. The next year four people. Addition is going to add people. But the world is multiplying while we're adding. But if. You become a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. And every year making a disciple that makes disciples, you begin to multiply. And in years, you've got billions of people. Now, in the case we wonder if that can work, Jesus it tells us here, you got your Bibles open to Matthew 28, right? Look at what it says in verse 16. The How many disciples? Eleven disciples. Traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When he saw them, they worshipped. Some doubted. Not even all of them were on board right then. Some of you are not on board right now with me. That's okay. Not all of them were on board with Jesus. 
Jesus came near and said, All authority has been given me heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. And from those 11, how many were there? 11. Today, there are over a billion people who claim to have faith in Jesus Christ. But it didn't happen by addition. It happened by multiplication. Multiplication beats addition every time. So your one job, my one job, all of us, our one job on this earth is to make disciples. So what does that mean? It has two parts to it, and it's this. Disciple making is simply conversion plus teaching to obey. A disciple is someone who has accepted the grace of Jesus Christ, been saved by Jesus, been converted to Christianity, to following Jesus, and then are obeying what the teacher, what Jesus has told them. Conversion and teaching to obey. And here's the good news about half of that. Half of that's not even our responsibility. You see, the Bible says that conversion is actually God's part. This, uh, this past Wednesday, I mentioned, uh, we're talking about Jonah, and we're in Jonah chapter 3 this past Wednesday, and we're just walking, over the last three weeks, we've walked one by one through uh, the book of Jonah. Let me just say this, if you're not involved in our Wednesday night programming, man, you need to be involved in our Wednesday night programming. Now, I'm going to give away part of the sermon later right now. You can only lead people as far as you yourself are going. Okay, And so you can't lead people past where you're going. And so you need to be involved in places to become a better disciple. And our Wednesday nights, um, with prayer meeting, we're going through the book of Jonah right now, Bible study. Um, our youth programming, our children's programming, our preschool programming are all vital to helping to make disciples. And so you need to have your kids here. You need to be here. You need to be a part of that. Um, after Labor Day, Susan's going to be starting a women's Bible study. They're always really popular. And we're going to be offering some opportunities for men in the coming months as well. And so make sure that if you can, you're a part. So on Wednesday night, that's my commercial, all right? On Wednesday night, we were talking about Jonah. And we're talking about, you remember the story of Jonah, right? Jonah, as God says, go to Nineveh, and what does Jonah do? He goes the opposite way, right? He goes the opposite way, he gets in a boat, the boat's out on the, out on the ocean, and or out on the sea, and as they're out on the sea, what happens? A storm comes up, things start happening, they start throwing things overboard, they said, whose fault is this? So Jonah goes, um, it may be mine, I did what God told me not to do. So they throw Jonah overboard, reluctantly, Jonah gets swallowed by a fish, he gets spit out on dry land, and God comes back to him and gives him a second chance, but he gives him a second chance to do exactly the same thing he gave him the first chance to do. He says, go to Nineveh, Jonah goes to Nineveh, Jonah preaches, and eight words message and this was it you're gonna die that's basically it 40 days from now you're gonna die and everybody repents and god relents when i say everybody they put sackcloth on the cows and made the cows fast okay everything and so we're talking about that, and just two things stuck out, and then a question we'll get to in a minute. But the two things that stuck out were this. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God was ready to save the people. God was ready to save the Ninevites. Jonah was not going to save them. Jonah didn't want to save them. Jonah didn't want them to have anything good happen. God was ready and willing and able to save, and it is up to God to do the saving. It is up to God to do the converting. It is God's work to change people's lives. You cannot change people's lives. Some of you are wasting your time. Time and your effort and every emotional strength and money trying to change people's lives. And you can't do it. And I have four kids. Eli, my oldest, has already professed his faith in Jesus Christ. He's been baptized. And I want to tell you right now, if I could make the decision for my other three kids, I would do it this moment. 
Man, I know all four of my kids are going to face temptation. They're going to face trials. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do things they shouldn't do. And if I could be in every situation with all of my kids when they are in those moments and make those decisions for them, I would. But I can't, and it's not my job. The only one that can change the lives of my kids is God. Salvation, it says in Jonah, belongs to the Lord. Not me. And the second thing that we learned in there is that you can't become a follower of Jesus unless you hear the good news about Jesus. The Ninevites were ready to be saved. Nobody said anything. Jonah gave the worst sermon in history. And that is, that is, it is the worst sermon in history. He said five Hebrew words. You are going to die in 40 days. That's, he just yelled it. Now, what would you, if, what if I walked out here and I just looked at you and go, 40 days from now, you're all dead. Out. And that's all I did. Some people are like, woo, lunch early, let's go. And the people responded. And this is what I said, okay? This is, I was doing research. I saw a pastor mention something like this. If we know salvation belongs to God and we know people can't convert without hearing, that'll lead us to two things. First of all, it means we ought to pray like crazy. For our kids, for our neighbors, for our friends. And this is the question I ask that I could tell. Sometimes when you're preaching, you can tell, like, sometimes you can look out and tell, like, nobody cares about anything I'm saying right now. And sometimes you can look out and you know when you ask a question, it hits. And this question hit and it hit me. And this is the question I ask. If God answered every one of your prayers this afternoon that you have prayed in the last week. So if God answered every prayer you've asked in the last week this afternoon, how many new believers would there be? If God answered every one of your prayers from the last week this afternoon. How many new believers would there be? We need to be praying for lost people by name. For neighbors, for friends, for relatives, for people at school, for people at work, for people that live across the neighborhood and across the world. And we need to be praying that God would send workers into the field. The second thing I said is if you knew it, salvation belongs to the Lord and you must hear to respond, we would pray, pray, pray. And the second thing is we would share the gospel. You only need three things to share the gospel. You need a desire to share the gospel. Most people I've talked to, they would like to share the gospel. I haven't really talked to anybody that says they're a follower of Jesus that were like, no, I do not want to. Although Jonah is one of those people. All right. You have to have confidence. You have to know what to say. How you're going to say it. That's where most people fall down. And you have to have an opportunity. But you just have to be willing to share. If you were here a couple of years ago, I I did a big spray paint thing. How many of you were here remember me spray painting circles? All right, I'm going to go over that again just because it's the easiest way I know to share. Um, And I'll talk in a minute about the guy that developed the tool and something I, I heard from them. He was at the conference I was at on Friday. It's just a simple way. You say, I don't even, Pastor, I don't even know, like, I've got this person in my life, and I, and I really want them to understand what it means to follow Jesus. I really want them to accept Christ as their Savior, but I don't even know how to begin to talk to them about it. This is the easiest thing I know. You don't have to use this. Find some other thing to use. But this is easy. As, as Ava's favorite word now is easy peasy. All right? This is easy peasy. All right? The first thing is you have to be able to draw three circles and to show you how 
amazingly easy that is? I'm using my actual, this is my actual drawing of a circle. And don't get overwhelmed by how beautiful the circle is, all right? But I am not an artist. There are no people in this diagram. If there were people in this diagram, they would be stick people. They would look like a second grader did it, all right? Maybe, maybe. If I'm a good day, it's a second grader. Most of the time, it's like a preschooler, all right? So you draw a circle, and you talk about God's design. And we know this. God's design for us is what? God created us. Why? He created us to be in a relationship with him and to give glory to his name. That's it. To be in a relationship with him and to give glory to his name. And you can look around the world and realize that something is messed up about that. That God's design is not happening. I have yet to ask any single person I've ever talked to about the gospel, do you think your life is perfect? And they say to them, yes, everything is perfect. Never heard it. You say, well, why happened? What happened with God's design? Well, we chose to do something else. We chose to go our own way. Now, the Bible has a word for this and what it leads to. The Bible calls our decision to go our own way, to choose not to do what God wanted us to do, to decide we wanted to do our own thing, sin, and it always leads to brokenness. Now, when you talk about brokenness, you don't have to talk when you talk to people. You don't have to get very far from them to understand what brokenness is. It's guilt. It's shame. It's the um, feeling inside that you get when you know your life is not what it needs to be. It's being completely alone, even though you've awakened next to somebody different for the last three nights. And we try everything we can to get out of this brokenness. And we go all over the place trying to figure it. And some people use drugs, or some people use career, or some people use alcohol, or some people use relationships, some people use the internet. But we try everything we can to break out of the brokenness. And what happens is instead of breaking out of the brokenness, we get farther and farther into the brokenness cycle. And we get more and more broken. And what we have to understand is, that's a good thing. Scripture says... That God's kindness leads us to brokenness that leads us to repentance. I mentioned that I was at a conference this past weekend. The guy that developed this tool, that drew this out for the first time, this guy named Jimmy Scroggins. He's a pastor down in South Florida, all the way almost down to Miami. He's in the county above Miami. And he started a class... Uh, called Preparation for Marriage. Started, he advertised in the community. He said he really thought it'd be all church people that came. But in Florida, like Tennessee, you get a major break on your marriage license if you go to a marriage preparation class. And so he showed up the first night. He said, I did not have a single church member or a single believer in my group. He said, which was bad because all the books I told them to buy were like deep theological books on marriage. And he said, I sat around the room and I just became it was unbelievable to me, their stories. He said, my first night, I had done this whole biblical, uh, I was doing this biblical theological treatment of what marriage is. He said, I started, I went around the room and I started asking people their story. And here was a lady who grew up in Puerto Rico and moved to Miami. This is her second child with her third husband. And they're getting ready to get married. And he's got two kids. And they just want to make sure this one works. And right next to them was a couple. And he began, he said, I always started with the, with the, the guy that was there. He had to come as a couple. And I'd say, could you please tell me your story? And he he said, no English. Like, oh, okay. Well, he doesn't speak English. He said, so can you interpret for me and tell him what I said? She goes, I don't speak Spanish. And he thought, well, maybe they, maybe they solved the problems with marriage right there. They literally cannot talk to each other. Right? He said, and I was like, well, how, how does that work? I don't understand. But they already had a kid and had another one on the way and decided it was time to get married, even though they couldn't talk to each other. He said there were six couples all of them were stories like that. He said, I went home and I said, God, my curriculum is not going to work. Like, this is not going to work. You've got to give me something. And he said, I got a napkin out and I drew this out. 
And he said that night, the second week, he walked in and I said, all right, listen, all right, we kind of start off kind of weird. He said, I just want to tell you something. He goes, y'all know I'm a pastor and all that. He said, I just want to tell you something that's helped me make sure my marriage works. He said, now listen, it's a real marriage. It's not a fake plastic TV marriage. It's a real marriage. There are ups and downs. He has eight kids. He said, I have eight kids. It's a real marriage. But this is what helps us survive. And he started through these circles. And he said, when I got to brokenness, he said, the whole room stopped. He said, because everybody there knew what it meant. You don't believe that. You go stand next to a stranger on the fence post at a football game. And if you have a five minute conversation with them before long, you're going to understand some problem they have in their lives. Because we talk about our problems. We complain. Well, how you doing? Well, I'm all right. now in church. If you say, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. If I'd be any better, be two of me. Just don't know how I can handle it. Lying through our teeth is what we're doing, all right? But you get out in the world and you ask somebody how you're doing and you're going to hear how they're doing. You see, when we choose to go away from God's design, we choose to do that, it leads to brokenness. And there's nothing we can do about it. I thought about um, this week, uh, Ava's and her preschool program, they have a nursery rhyme of the week. And her nursery rhyme of this week was Humpty Dumpty. You know that, right? Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. That's where we are. We're Humpty off the wall, broken in pieces. It'd be good if somebody would do something about that, wouldn't it? And that's when you draw the third circle and you talk about the gospel. You say, whoa, 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 wait, now this is where it gets tough. What do I talk about the gospel? Like, I can talk about the fact that we do bad stuff. I can talk about the fact that, listen, um, we're all broken. But, but what do you mean by the gospel? Well, just a little tool at the top that helps us to remember what the gospel is. You've already talked about sin. You ain't going to talk about that. You ain't going to talk about brokenness. You just say that God made a way through Jesus who came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and then rose again from the grave, all to pay the penalty of your sin and to help you get out of this brokenness. And all you have to do is repent and believe. Now, repent is one of those churchy words. You've got to explain it. There's just not a better word for it. And it just means that you turn around, that you change your mind, you change your direction. Say that I'm not trying to do the brokenness on my own. I'm going to believe in Jesus to do that. And when that happens, it leads us to be able to recover and pursue God's design again. Now, listen, that's it. It's a simple presentation. It can take 30 seconds. Some of you could take this and make it a two-hour thing. But it's simple. The truth is, most of us have a desire to share. We just need the opportunity. And they're more available than we think. And we need a tool. Now, in the next few weeks, a couple of times, we're going to offer some times to maybe talk through this a little bit more, answer some deeper questions. I'd encourage you to be that because all of us are called to be disciple makers. And the first part of that is conversion. You need to be able to have gospel conversations with people around you. The second part is simply to teach them to obey. Disciple making is conversion and teaching to obey. Now again, you cannot lead people further than you are, you are already yourself. And so the question you need to ask is, how will you fill your mind with the things of God? How will you fuel your affections for the things of God? How will you show God's love to the people 
around you in your circle? How will you share God's plan with people? How will you spread God's glory? And then how will you help somebody else fill their mind with the things of God, fuel their affections for the things of God, show God's love in their community, and share God's plan with those around them? And you just walk along, people, as you figure all that out. You study the Bible together. You talk about what God's teaching you. And you show God's love. We're going to be giving you some opportunities to understand how to do that a little bit better in the months ahead. But I just want today for us to be reminded again of the only one job that we have been given that really matters. And that is making disciples. And just ask you, is that a part of what you're doing? It's the most important thing you should be doing. Are you doing it? Let's pray together.